Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Ashley LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Great weekend, everybody. Welcome to The Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming, and I'm really honored that you decided to download this week's episode. Really excited to bring you the interviews from my guests this week. I think it's a terrific lineup and exciting stuff that we're talking about because it's draft season. The NHL draft less than a week away as I'm speaking with you now. It is Friday, June 23rd. Now, most of the interviews that you're going to hear in this week's episode happened two, three days ago. Early access, big perk for uh, patrons at patreon.com slash show. If you wanted to get all these scouting reports uh, from all my guests this week, uh, you, they've been available to patrons for two, three days already. And it is uh, patrons like you that keep the show going, so I really appreciate that. And if you've uh, considered it but never tried to become a patron, now's the perfect time. Seven-day free trials are now available. Again, that's at patreon.com slash show. Speaking of which, the program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky with three Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall. But of course, they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada via their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com. Some brief news and notes to uh, deliver, and uh, then we will get into the guest list and the meat of the show. Let's start with the uh, Wenatchee Wild. We Last week, as I was putting the show together, that sale became official, the Winnipeg Ice, now the Wenatchee Wild, and over the past week, uh, some things have uh, shaken out. We know Bliss Littler will still be the general manager of the team. We know that Chris Clark will still be the associate head coach. Sounds like they are still looking for another uh, coach to join the uh, the staff. Lee Mendelson will continue being the director of scouting for the team, but the club had tweeted, they've pulled the tweet off, I think because of uh, some reaction. They're looking for another coach and another assistant coach as well. Going to be very interesting to see the direction that the Wenatchee Wild take this coming year because they have a lot of good returning players. They're going to have to cut down from uh, what they've got coming from Winnipeg, though, because uh, they can only have three 2003-born players, and there's a bunch of them who could be in that picture. The players we know who were in Winnipeg that will definitely not be going to Wenatchee because they're too old now. That would be Owen Peterson, Connor McLennan, and Ben Zlotti. 
They're done. Their junior eligibility is up, so they move on. The list of 2003-born players who are on the roster in the playoffs for the Winnipeg Ice include Carson Latimer, who is drafted but unsigned. His rights go back into the draft, actually, next week. Uh, so he is available for Wenatchee. Briley Wood, Easton Armstrong, Josh Modernock, Vlad Shillow, Tyson Nash, uh, Zach Ostopchuk, but he is signed, uh, so probably very slim chance that he's back in the WHL next year. But that's six forwards alone. Uh, and you can only have 303 birthdays total. And that's not including, well, Carson Lambos is signed by Minnesota, so he's probably not back. But Graham Sword is an interesting one because he's a really good defenseman, drafted by Nashville, but not signed yet. So he's uh, his availability is a little less certain. Uh, Carter Prososki, another 2003-born, and uh, Wyatt Wilson as well. And then you've got goaltender Mason Bopit, who's drafted by San Jose, but not signed. So Bopit and Sward, if they were signed by their NHL teams, they could play in the American Hockey League this coming season. However, they're not signed, so chances are pretty good that both of those guys would be back. So it's a good problem for Bliss Littler and the Wenatchee Wild to have, as you have a lot of talent that is available for you. However, you can only keep three of them. It means you got to trade a bunch of them, and it's hard to trade 20-year-olds around the WHL because everybody's got their own. So we'll see how it all shakes out. But beyond the 20-year-olds, they've still got Matthew Savoy and Connor Geeky and Zach Benson and Jonas Wu. And Daniel Hauser is actually younger than Bo Pitt, but he's the number one guy. So they've still got a lot of talent there. But their cupboards for draft picks for the next three years are very, very... They're empty. So which way does Wenatchee go? They could still be a very competitive and potentially a playoff team this coming season. Or do they start the rebuild already and put their own fingerprints on the organization. I don't know. I would hate to see the team move there and then they just sell everything off and are stuck and really starting from the bottom. But that's also going to be a little bit tempting to completely start over. The league will be releasing schedules uh, next week for the coming season, including the preseason. Uh, and the other big news and note item coming out of the uh, annual general managers meeting is this is the final year for... Ron Robison, as commissioner of the WHL, he's moving on. So just like Gilles Courteau in the queue this past season and David Branch, who stepped down from the CHL position a few years back, he's still running the OHL, but a changing of the guard for the Western Hockey League is Ron Robison entering his final year as the commissioner of the WHL. Hey, speaking of commissioner changes, the USHL has announced their new man. That it would be Glenn Hefferin, who will take over from Bill Robertson officially. July 1st. I am not familiar with uh, Glenn Hefferin. If you are not either, then you can go to the USHL's website and read their press release. Good or bad, at least at the very minimum, I hope there's some improvement with the league's website. Lastly, USA Hockey has uh, put out their summer showcase uh, rosters. Five goalies, 16 defensemen, and 23 forwards uh, invited to participate. This will be going on during the draft. goes July 27th to August 4th. Five goaltenders are Trey Augustine, Tyler Musilek, Andrew Oak, Jacob Fowler, and Hampton Slukinski. Augustine and Musilek would have the inside track as uh, both were on the U-20 squad last year at the World Junior Championship. Sixteen defensemen. The only two returnees are Ryan Chesley and Lane Hudson. The only player who was taken in the first round of the NHL draft is Sam Rinzel, who played uh, for the Waterloo Blackhawks this past season. He's drafted by the Chicago Blackhawks. 
Seamus Casey, a second-round pick of uh, the New Jersey Devils, is on this list. Hunter Brustevich played with the Kitchener Rangers, also has some history with the program. Uh, he is an invitee, but it will be a youngish blue line, as a lot of the players who are invited are uh, 2023 draft eligibles. And then you've got 23 forwards, uh, a number of returning players. Alphabetically, the returnees are Gavin Brindley, Cutter Goche, Rutger McGrory, Jimmy Snuggerud. Uh, Logan Cooley is not actually on this list, but you know he's going to be on the team. Then there's Charlie Strammel as well, another returnee. So that's six returning players there, which leaves spots for seven, maybe eight guys if they want to go 14 forwards. Probably not. So that comes down to uh, players like Cole Eiserman, Ike Howard, Ryan Leonard, Cruz Lucius, Oliver Moore, Quentin Musty, Frank Nazer III, Gabe Perot, Will Smith. So it's quite a list of uh, players, at least with the forwards, that USA Hockey is bringing into their summer camp. Should point out, William Whitelaw is on that list. And remember last week I was telling you about uh, some things that I uh, know and some things that I've heard about William Whitelaw. Uh, one of those things was how he was one of the top players at the Holinka Gretzky Cup last year and then not invited to the World Junior A Challenge by USA Hockey because of some, uh, well, let's just call them attitude issues. So it is notable that he is invited to this camp. I think it's a long shot for him to make the uh, 2024 team because of all the players that I mentioned, but but still on the radar for USA Hockey and perhaps an opportunity for him to show USA Hockey that he learned from not being at the World Junior A Challenge. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline, the tap room, Red Deer, Alberta, where you can go in and get some exclusive beverages right on tap there. Don't forget, it's not just a craft beer. But they have craft soda. They have spirits as well. It is craft beverages worth sharing. Go to troubledmonk.com slash shop and see everything that they have on the menu right now. And if you're in Alberta, you can go to any of your local liquor stores and they have the ability to have it for you. So if you go in and you look for it, ask, and they will be able to get it for you. That's Troubled Monk. This week's guest list, it's a uh, cracker of a show. We're going to begin by looking at the Playmakers. Of note from the draft class of 2023, Josh Tesler from Smart Scouting is going to be my guest to do that. From that segment, Sam Cosentino is going to take a look at some sleeper picks, guys who are not ranked in the top two rounds by pretty much anybody. So if you're a fan of, okay, who's my team? Who could my team get in the fifth round or the seventh round? Sam's got a list of players for you to consider there. Brock Otten from McKean's, he's back on the program, and he's going to look at overage players, guys who were eligible last year, maybe even two years ago. Great stat that he brought up. It's about 20% of the players taken in an entry draft are overage players. So obviously it's a group that we need to know, and Brock is going to inform us about a few of those guys. And then we're going to end this week's episode with Russ Cohen from Sirius XM NHL Radio, also writes for EP Ringside. And the one category that we haven't got to yet, it's the goal scorers, the snipers, the natural-born scorers. And so you know that is going to be a very high-end category for us to talk about. And uh, Russ has got a great breakdown, some really cool information that I think you're going to appreciate. So a loaded show for you. Let's get right to it. Coming up next, it's Josh Tesler from Smart Hockey. We're looking at playmakers, the guys who set up the goals. He's up first. Here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. 
Cackney won it. Left half boards. McCarr skates down the boards to the corner. Stops up there. Then got around a defender to the side of the net. Cuts in front. Shoots and scores! A thing of beauty. A work of art. Kale McCarr just took over this whole game. Dangling a defender out of his skates in the left corner. Cutting to the slot untouched. Hey, it's Kale McCarr of the Brooks Bandits. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. This is The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. As we get closer and closer to the 2023 NHL draft, we continue getting to know some of the players who are up for the big event. Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky, and you can get it in three locations in the Edmonton area. Or you can just go to their website, wilhockbeefjerky.com, and they will ship it to you anywhere in Western Canada. We continue with the uh, scouts uh, as we get closer and closer to the draft. And in this segment, we are talking about playmakers, the guys who are going to be piling up the assists because they are setting up all the goals and to profile some of the best in the class of 2023 at being playmakers. Josh Tesler from Smot Hockey is my guest. Welcome back to the program, Josh. How are you, man? Thank you so much for having me on, man. Uh, doing well. Um, doing well. Can't complain. And uh, how about yourself? We're getting pretty excited for the uh, draft, which is right around the corner. And I know uh, you're probably getting pretty excited as well. Hey, Josh, tell us what you have available for listeners at uh, Smot Hockey right now. Um, yeah, so we we published out our... Um, our final rankings a few weeks back, and we've got a bunch of profiles on the site, you know, so you can go check those out. I'm publishing goaltender data, uh, I want to say early next week, so expect that on Monday. Yeah, and, and that's going to encompass my speed and rebound control data. So, yeah, so look out for that. Okay, we will watch for that, Josh. And, uh, well, okay, let's get to it. A couple of weeks ago when we chatted, we were talking about the categories and the one that you wanted to pick was the playmakers, the setup guys, the guys who manufacture the goals and tee it up for their teammates. We're going to talk about uh, some pretty high-end players here. Should not come as any surprise because those are uh, pretty valuable guys. Uh, But a lot of the players we're going to talk about, first-rounders, in fact, uh, even in the top 10. And if we're going to talk about playmakers, I think you have to start with Connor Bedard, who is going to go first overall. Josh, from your perspective... What sets this guy apart? Yeah, so, um, you know, and so I just want to clarify, you know, this year with the, the Pats, you know, while at times Bedard, you know, was more of a finisher, you know, that was more based around what the team needed, you know, but with that, you know, but, you know, but with that said, you know, the d- distribution, the angling, sorry, his ability to find, you know, great, you know, lanes to utilize, you know, to get pucks down low, you know, he is just consistently good at being great at everything in the offensive zone. You, you know, you saw him 
utilizing his shot a bit more, especially from the, the perimeter at times. But when it was do or die moments for the Regina Pats, it was always about, you know, getting the puck to Connor, you know, and establishing, you know, shooting lanes. And so at the, at the end of the day, if you would compare Godard to, you know, other players on the, you know, on the list that I gave you, including like Zach Benson, um, you know, and Andrew Cristal, you know, the, you know, the playmaking ability was probably just a little bit, a little bit less prominent, um, you know, with Connor Bedard versus, you know, versus guys like Zach Benson. There's so much to be impressed about when it comes to uh, Connor Bedard, but the fact when you consider he had 143 points and pretty much an equal split, 71 goals and 72 assists. So not only was he lighting it up, like you said, his team needed him to do this year, but 72 assists, pretty darn remarkable as well. Yep. And that might be the key for him is just how balanced his attack is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he's, you know, and he's going to collect points from everywhere. You know, he's just that type of player. You know, he's going to collect points, you know, um, off of transition plays through the neutral zone. You know, when he, he's, you know, when he's driving the puck, you know, he's got, you know, great speed, you know, but he's also going to be looking for those head man passing lanes, you know, that he can utilize in order to get the puck, you know, further up. I mean, he's just going to get, he's going to get points from everywhere because, um, I'm sorry, when Chicago takes Connor Bedard, I mean, you better believe it that they are going to, you know, ask Connor Bedard to do as, I mean, to do as much heavy lifting as needed because, you know, because he is that type of player. All right, Josh, let's go to the next guy on the list. And because we're going alphabetically, it takes us to Zach Benson of the Winnipeg Ice. I guess I should say the Wenatchee Wild after the sale uh, from last week. I've seen a lot of him, but I'm interested in hearing the perspective of a guy who's outside the WHL market. So, Josh, tell me your thoughts on Zach Benson, who also had a heck of a season this year. He had 36 goals and 62 assists, 98 points in just 60 games. Your thoughts on Zach Benson? Yeah, so what I very much like about Zach is his tenacity. You know, it doesn't matter what the score is, 5v5. Or, you know, or they are down if you guys on the penalty kill. You know, he is constantly engaging in play. You know, he's got great speed, great acceleration, and his passing is just outstanding, especially in the neutral zone. He just does so much for his line, you know, and he's definitely going to be called upon in very critical moments at the NHL level. I, I can't say enough good stuff about Benson because he is just such a great player and I, I think the challenge for scouts throughout the year was trying to was trying to really get a hold on what the projection was going to be because you know I, I think going into the year I feel like scouts kind of had questions in terms of like okay well is Zach Benson more of a um, you know more of like a second line guy you know, or can he really be like a top line contributor? I think it really comes down to who Benson is surrounded by. You know, if he is surrounded by, you know, top finishers on that top line, great. You know, but if he's not, then, you know, then he's going, you know, then he's going to be a little bit less productive. It's all about who you surround him with. But I mean, the tenacity, 
um, you, you know, leads to him being, um, you know, great on D4 check, you know, great at mopping pots, um, you know, and then redistributing them. With Benson, is size a concern for you right now? Because he's not big. He's, he's listed at 5'9", 5'10", and like 160 pounds. And I know it's fair to assume that he's going to get bigger and stronger, but I don't know how much taller he's going to get. Maybe 5'11", 5'10", 5'11", 180 pounds. We're seeing guys at the NHL level who are having success these days at that size. Debrinkat, Caulfield, guys like that. Is Benson's size a concern at all for you right now? If he was holding on to the puck more, yes, but the but the fact that he's not, no. So like he like he's very much like hot potato kind of on passing, and so he doesn't often find himself in a true in a true jam that he really can't get himself out of. No, I'm not really I'm not really worried about his size. I'm sorry because he's got so many tools that he can work with. You know, given his, you know, given his speed, his stick handling, um, and his distribution, you know, while you know, while he is five ten, you know, he, you know, he constantly makes it work for himself. And so, with that said, I don't have any concern about, you know, about that at the next level because I mean, his distribution is just fast, 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 fast. Moving on, we get to the big Swede, Leo Carlson, coming in, and you have him ranked slightly ahead of uh, Zach Benson. You have him fourth overall at Smot Scouting. I'm sure the ranking at the top is pretty tight. Why do you have him number four, Josh? Yeah, so um, I very, very much like Leo Carlson. He is a north-south player. You know, he's great in B-cycle. You know, he's, you know, he's got excellent mobility, you know, that he can rely on, you know, he's, you know, and his north-south speed allows him to get onto pucks quickly, you know, and he's just constantly looking, you know, to tum up pucks and, you know, and find, you know, and find those lanes. Leo is a potential cornerstone player for me. Smart scouting team had a heavy debate at the draft rankings table in terms of, well, do we go with Matt Mitchkov or do we go with Leo Carlson? You know, and I was more leaning towards Leo because I saw Leo's play, his, like, his production, it was just far more translatable for me, you know, and I really saw a cornerstone player. And at the beginning of the year with Matt Bay, you know, I didn't really see that type of player and even at this point, like I still personally lean Leo, I mean Leo Carlson because his playmaking in my eyes is more dynamic than Mappe Mitchkov's ability to you know to you know to really create those lanes for himself with the puck and to generate you know goal scoring opportunities for himself because a lot of the times you know you will see a lot more backdoor goals and so. You know, and so with all and all of that said, I, you know, I just saw a better player in Leo. Carlson's got the size and he's been playing professionally in Sweden for the last couple of years. So easy to think that this is a guy who could make that transition to the NHL maybe quicker and easier than others in the class of 2023. The next guy up on the list to talk about is Andrew Crystal. He played for the Kelowna Rockets. So this is another WHLer on your list of playmakers. And he had a strong season uh, for the Rockets, that's for sure. 54 games played, he had 95 points, and 56 of those were assists. So 
just a, uh, an assist a game guy this year, let alone he had 39 goals in there as well. Tell me about Andrew Crystal. Yeah, so for Andrew Crystal, um, he's very much like Zach Benson, where you know he's very much engaged in transition when he, you know, when he has the puck on his stick. You know, he's constantly looking to deliver headman passes, getting the puck further up the ice. You know, and it's the same in the offensive zone too. You know his, you know his, his line mates will utilize him. You know when, you know when they, you know when they simply can't get around attackers, and you know and deliver draw passes to him, and then you know and then have him key up passes, you know to to them once they find space, you know down low at net front, and so Crystal and Benson are just, you know the, you know just the constant drive. You know, when they have the puck on their stick, I'm just constantly seeing them make the right passes and really, you know, and really looking to, you know, be that, you know, supporting playmaker, you know, but playing that role on the wing. So I can't wait to see what, you know, what is in store for them at the NHL level. Crystal, also not a big guy, although he's a little heavier than uh, Zach Benson is. I think he's got 15 or, or 20 pounds on him, but. Skating seems to be an issue for a lot of people. Now, you have them ranked really high. I think you have them 12th, and I don't know that anybody has them higher than that. So skating, not that big of a concern for you and uh, for everybody else at Smart Scouting, Josh? So it concerns me, but, but I mean, at the same time, like he's well aware of it to the point where he knows when, like, you know, like, you know, like he knows the, the, situations in which he shouldn't be the main driver of play. And so, you know, and so with that said, you know, if he gets the puck in those particular situations where, you know, the, the pressure has intensified, um, you know, in the next, you know, in the next zone, you know, he's looking to pass the puck first. He understands his limitations. And so I'm happy to bet on players that, you know, that really get their limitations, you know, and find ways to work around them. Well, I've always said it, Josh, I would rather have a guy with uh, high skill and smarts who struggles maybe a bit with skating than a guy who can fly but doesn't know what to do with the puck. So I'm with you on that one, Josh. Let's move to Adam Fantilli, who is uh, such an exciting player. Now he's got the size. He's also uh, putting up huge numbers this year as a member of the Michigan Wolverines. 65 points in just 36 games at the NCAA level. 35 of those were assists, so 30 goals. I mean, this is a really, really good player. Do you see him more as a uh, a setup guy than a shooter then, Josh? He's got a bit of both. In terms of the projection for me, like, I definitely see him, you know, being more of like a 30, I mean, 30, 50 guy, you know, maybe, you know, may, you know, you know maybe 40, 50 guy. You know, identifying, you know, those gaps, you know, when he's dealing with intensified pressure, you know, at the NCAA level and moving the puck, you know, he's got, I'm sorry, you know, he's got great speed. He, you know, he's got great mobility that he can rely on to open up passing lanes. He's just very, very smart with the puck and he's just constantly looking for lanes. So it doesn't matter whether he's looking to shoot or, you know, mean or pass. I think that his playmaking ability 
will, you know, will shine a bit more at the next level, you know, but he also has one heck of a shot as well. He really can do it all. I mean, not only can he put up the points and he's got the size, but he can skate too. So there is uh, absolutely lots to like about Adam Fantilli. Last guy on the list to chat about is Jaden Perron, who played for Fantilli's old team in the USHL. That's the Chicago Steel. Second year in the league for Perron and put up some really nice numbers. 72 points this year in 61 games. Two-thirds of those were assists at at, uh, 48. Now he's eventually going to North Dakota. Tell me about Jaden Perron and and what you like about him. Yeah, so with Jaden Perron, he's more of a undersized forward who... You know, his north-south speed, you know, was lacking at times to, you know, to the point where he really had to use more and more crossovers and edges in order for him to, in order for him to go up the ice, you know, but his distribution is great. And when the pressure, you know, intensifies, you know, it doesn't matter if it's the defensive zone, neutral zone, you know, he's got the ability to pivot out. You know, use his edges and crossovers to open up space for for himself to, to make those passes. You know, and he's a player where I trust him to make those critical passes, you know, which are when needed at the next level. You know, when sorry, when down by a few goals. You know, he's you know the the type of player that I want. I do get why people are concerned about you know his frame, but. You know, at the you know, but at the same point, you know, he's shown that he's got the mobility to get out of those jams. You know, and so he's just going to get you know better and better at the at the next level. Can't wait to see what uh, what is in store with him up with North Dakota. Well, you have Perron ranked very high at 15th overall. More often than not, I've seen him ranked as a late first rounder or even into the second late second round uh, for some people. So. Really a bit of a, a draft a wild card there is Jaden Perron. Now, on the flip side, I also asked you for a player that uh, you like, but not as much as the consensus that seems to be out there from scouts. So this is a player that if you were picking on draft day and the team right ahead of you picked him, you'd be okay with that because that means somebody that you like more has slid down an extra spot for you. Tell me why Oliver Bonk of the London Knights, good-sized defenseman, but he is that guy for you this year. You like him, but not as much. Why is that? Yeah, so for me with Bonk, it's more of, you know, he's a solid d- d- defensive defenseman, but the mo- mobility and the speed that he has, he doesn't always keep up with play. And so I constantly see him trying to find ways to mitigate that, so to speak. And what he's trying to do ends up he'll so like he'll cross check guys you know in the back you know um you know in the back off puck you know he'll extend his stick out and there are moments where it's just clear that he doesn't really have the mobility in in order to you know in order to keep pace and so he's trying to do those things in in order to for him that's a way of trying to slow down sorry the. Uh, opposing puck carrier and his game really reminds me of Ben Chirot while it's translatable I want to bet for more upside and so when I look at a defenseman like Bonk if his like if he like if his mobility improves I mean that is exactly what he needs 
And so, you know, and so he will be, you know, you know, D four for me versus, you know, versus maybe like a, a D five, D six at the next level. And so, yeah, so it's those concerns that I, I have that I, you know, that I see in his game. And so I just don't, with that said, like there are guys in that range that I like, you know, better, you know, when it comes to their, I'm sorry, when it comes to their all around uh, play, you know, so for example, like Tanner Mullendike, you know, he's, he's someone that I've seen, um, you know, in that range quite a bit. And I just, you know, and I just think that Tanner brings, you know, a bit more to like the table in all three zones. So for me, it's all about betting on the upside. For me, Bonk's upside, it just doesn't measure up to other players that I'm seeing in that per- like in that particular range. Well, I understand what you're saying, Josh. Uh, if I mean, you think he's going to be a third-pairing guy, that's probably not the type of player that you would pick in the first round, more of a late second or third round type of player. So you're not saying he's not going to play. You're not saying he can't play for you. You just value somebody different uh, at that point of the draft. So that makes sense. Well, Josh, uh, listen, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Uh, listeners can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Tesler underscore or at Smot Scouting at Smot, and that's S-M-A-H-T uh, at Smot Scouting, where you can find their rankings as well. Josh, this has been terrific, man. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Enjoy the draft. Yeah, man, and thank you so much for having me on. That was Josh Tesler from Smot Hockey who uh, had some insight to share with us about some players that we need to know for the upcoming NHL draft that fall under the playmakers category. Really appreciate uh, Josh and uh, his time able to squeeze this in before the upcoming draft, which goes it's a little bit weird now uh, with it being a Wednesday and Thursday instead of on the weekend. Anyone know why they're actually doing it during the week instead of on the weekend? I don't. I don't. Uh, hit me up on the old Twitter machine if you do, though, at TPS underscore Gee. Let's move on, and uh, coming up next is Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, good friend of the Pipeline Show, and uh, he is going to tell us about six guys nobody has ranked inside the first two rounds. We're going with the sleepers. That's next with Sam Cosentino. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, I'm Quentin Musty from the Sudbury Wolves. David going into the near circle, trailing Musty high slot, lets it fly, he scores! Quentin Musty, second of the game, a 2-0 wolf. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. And boom goes the dynamite. It's The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, we are getting right to it as uh, our next scout is up and on the line now, courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. We're going to talk about guys who are uh, probably not on anybody's radar in the first two rounds. 
Uh, but definitely, guys, we need to know. We're going to call this the sleeper category, and to handle that is a good friend of the Pipeline Show. That's Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet. Uh, welcome back, Sam. How are things? Well, things are uh, they're rolling along here. Busiest time of the year. Yeah. I love it, as I know you do, and uh, things are going well. Thanks. Couldn't couldn't be any better. There's something about a draft. I don't if it whether it's hockey, you could be drafting with your friends, like who uh, like uh, soda or something like that. Flavors of soda, whatever it is. There's something about drafts that just get me excited. It's it's the continuing suspense, right? So okay, the. And it's weird this year because, like, I, I see suspense kind of right through the whole first round of the draft. Like, after Bedard, there's 31 other picks that I'm going to be very interested in. Is it going to be Fantilli or Carlson at number two? Fantilli or Carlson at number three? What's going to happen at number four? Mitch Koff, Will Smith? Like, there's there's lots of intrigue in this draft. And so that's – I think that's true in a lot of drafts when you're looking at tiers and you're looking at, you know, top-end guys and whatnot. But really, after Connor Bedard this year, it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Well, and you're going to be uh, one of the guys on the panel, at least, uh, for Sportsnet on day one and on the NHL Network on day two, uh, which you've been, become a real staple for the NHL Network. I think they, uh, they uh, re- I'm sure, really appreciate the knowledge. I remember the one year where they were just gushing because you could do all of this without any papers in front of you. It's like a guy who does his homework. That's nice. I <laughs> go figure. No, I have those special glasses. I, I, it actually dictates through my glasses. <laughs> All right, well, let's get to it because uh, the category that you've got is the sleepers. Guys who aren't in, in your top uh, two rounds are pretty much anybody's top two rounds, I would guess. Uh, and some of these guys I have, I have no familiarity with, uh, so I'm looking forward to this one because you can educate me. And we're going to start with a, a player out of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League who, he's uh, 20 years old. This is his last kick at the uh, the draft. Uh, has gone unselected a couple of times already. But what a monster season for Justin Gill, who played for the Sherbrooke Phoenix, went from 46 points a year ago to 93. He had 44 goals this past season for the Phoenix. Obviously, lots of reasons to like this guy. Tell me why he's a standout for you. Well, we're going to talk about a few different players, and I think you're going to find a common thread amongst all of them. So start with Gill at 6'190 pounds, a guy who can play center and moves around the ice really well, um, and, and centered one of the top lines in junior hockey this year, for the most part, with Josh Ottawa and, and Ethan Goche. And that line, uh, especially early in the year, was was unbelievable. And then things started to change a little bit when Sherbrooke made a few um, changes and additions to its lineup and trying to go for a QMJHL title. Didn't quite work out that way. Gill still produced at a good level, uh, just under a point per game in the playoffs, for sure, Brooke. But size and skill, nice marriage of those things. I think people are really kind of moving back towards the size thing and appreciating that more than we have in the last few years. And I think the last point I'd make there is, is Steph Julian is the head coach um, and general manager with Sherbrooke. And this guy, uh, you know, with a playing career in Germany, it does amazing things with Sherbrooke every year, whether it's the acquisition of players, the development of players. I mean, we're, we're talking about Joshua Ottawa this year uh, based on his world juniors. And none of that really happens without him moving to his second or third team in the queue and, and Steph Julian really pushing him to be a better guy. And I think that was the case with Gil. Although he played the year before in, in Sherbrooke, it was a first full kind of off season and season uh, that he could experience the influence of, of Steph Julian. And, and as a result, turn himself into a, 
a really good player when you go from 46 points to 44 goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, really impressive stuff there. But it's not like this guy was an, unzo- an unknown. You know, he was a second-round pick in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. It didn't work out for him in Charlottetown. And then here in his uh, – in this year as a, as a 20, um, he put up unbelievable numbers. So uh, again, a guy that uh, will also would have had a lot of eyes on him because he played with Ethan Gauthier and, you know, a lot of scouts were in to watch him this year. All right. Well, the, uh, the question's going to be with Gauthier on one side and, and uh, Joshua Roy on the other side, how much is he just leeching up points from those two guys? Or is this a, a player that's uh, not just a third wheel on that line, but a big contributor himself? Oh, yeah. No, no. I think that's a fair question. I think when you look at the, the centerman who's driving the line, who's winning face-offs and being able to put up power play points was uh, was something that Gil was able to do as well. But I think those, sometimes you just find chemistry. And if it's a guy that hasn't put up points before, well, it's mo- most likely a confidence issue where he understands he's playing with good players. He's putting pressure on himself to remain with those good players to continue to build his points profile. And for Gil, I think all of those things came together for him this year. Okay, he's going to Baycomo next season. Is that a good landing spot for him? Uh, you know what? With the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, it's it's kind of tough to to sort through things because a lot of times these things are cooked before they happen. Hmm. Uh, and I haven't looked to see what's happening in Baycomo, but my assumption is if he's going there, they are probably a team that's going to make uh, you know that's going to be in position to make a run. All right, perfect. Let's move on to the uh, next player on the list. We're headed to the Western Hockey League now, and uh, with a big defenseman who played with the Prince Albert Raiders, and that would be Terrell Goldsmith, listed at 6'4 and 220-ish pounds. Uh, on paper, lots to like. Now, probably not expecting a whole lot of offense from this guy, but that's okay because defensemen, uh, it's part of their uh, job description to play defense. Yeah, it sure is. And I think the Vegas Golden Knights handbook of, uh, you know, taking big, long range defensemen and, you know, uh, having those type of guys who can A, with handle or with withstand the, the rigors of a full season and then the playoffs, uh, you know, through four rounds, plus the ability to, you know, to kill plays, to play with the physical edge. Goldsmith has all of that. So, again, not really an unknown guy. He's the 15th overall pick in that great 2020 uh, WHL Bantam draft that featured the Bedards and the Heights and the Jaggers and those types of guys. So it's not completely uh, out of touch that we're talking about this guy. Having said that, because the point production, uh, you know, it takes him a little while to get around. But I do think that there there is a guy here um, that will draw significant more interest because of what we just saw in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Central scouting has him ranked 180th. So now you're, you know, if you think about 32 players per round, that's putting them into the sixth or seventh round. But, you know, I had some pretty good conversations with Jeff Truitt, the, the head coach there in, in, in Prince Albert. And he thinks that this guy's old school mentality is going to be something that scouts really take, uh, take an attraction to. And as a result of that, he, he probably ends up going late. Maybe someone taking a flyer. Maybe that pick is given to a local guy who's been able to get to PA and watch him a number of times. I think, you know, the thing about Goldsmith is just being able to refine the stick skills to be good enough to be able to, you know, get back on a retrieval in a hurry, make a good first pass, and then worry about being a nasty piece of business to play against thereafter. That's going to be a really good but young team in Prince Albert over the next couple of years. So having a guy like that who's 18 right now but a giant on the back end, he's going to, he's going to be a real anchor uh, for uh, for the Raiders and hopefully a leader as well. I don't know if you've seen enough of him to know if he's got that sort of uh, skill set to, to be a leader, 
but it, uh, at least on paper, it seems like that's a guy you could lean on. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, based on the things I hear uh, coming out of Prince Albert, that he is a guy for sure that's going to be the, the a big part, uh, you know, a centerpiece of, of what they're doing over there. And, in um, you know, coming back after what we saw in uh, in 2019 and then going through the pandemic and sort of having to rebuild things. Mark Habscheid leaves. Jeff Truitt was familiar with what was going on there. So I think Goldsmith's a big part of that, not just as an anchor physically, but also to be leaned on uh, for leadership as well. All right. Meanwhile, in the Ontario Hockey League, we go to the Flint Firebirds. 28 points in 64 games doesn't necessarily leap off the page at you, but there's a reason Ethan Hay, the centerman who's 6'1 and 190-ish pounds, He's on your list of sleepers, uh, Sam. Tell me why. Number 83 uh, by National Hockey League Central Scouting. Here's a guy whose skating is his key attribute, but if you get a chance to see him off ice, he's, he's ripped. He's very serious about his uh, fitness, his eating, his rest regimen. Um, and the guy who head coach Ted Dent says there, that they just love because they can play him in any situation. And those types of players are, are really valuable, especially when you get to the back end of the draft you're talking about a player that you hope can make your roster, uh, be a cost-efficient guy for you in the salary cap world, yet be effective and reliable. And I think that's what Hay projects to be. He's a young kid with a January birthday uh, and a guy who just plays a real simple straight-line game. Now, you know, is there, I think working on the skill part of it, in terms of the puck handling, the shooting ability, that's probably an area in which is going to have to take a step forward. But if Hay treats his development in the skill area the way he's treated his development in terms of his physique off ice, then I think you're looking at the guy who's going to be willing to put that work in and, and really improve himself. What do you see him as at the next level? What sort of a role? Probably a 3-4 energy type of guy. He'll bang bodies a little bit. Uh, you know, He'll play with speed in the forecheck, give you a little bit of that net front. Uh, but, you know, listen, when you can – take those players rounds five, six, seven, and find a spot on your roster that you can keep there for a couple of years and, and keep the, the cost down on those types of players. Cause they're not going to be massive producers. Those are really important pieces in a salary cap world. So he's the kind of guy I project to be that, you know, that third, fourth line energy guy uh, who can be a cost effective guy for you. All right. That's Ethan Hay from the Flint Firebirds. We uh, move back to the Western hockey league. Uh, Kai Uchez who has evolved to become quite the sniper at the WHL level. He had 50 goals last year for the Red Deer Rebels. Of that, he also had 85 points overall in the 68 games. So he's been passed over before, but now as a 19-year-old, and well, he turns 20 here this weekend, as a matter of fact. Happy birthday, Kai Uchess. But on your list as a sleeper, you like him in the later stages of this draft, and uh, I'm guessing because of those 50 goals probably helps. You, you can't turn your back on that. And the Western Hockey League was really difficult. There was a ton of high-end skills uh, splattered throughout the league this year. And playing in, in Red Deer to be able to put up 50 goals is really, really impressive. You know, I think back to Steve Konowalczyk and the impact he's had on players that he's coached in the past. I think you're going to see it a little bit with Kale and Lynn probably earlier than where you Chaz has picked. I think if you go back and you look at uh, Stanley Cup champion and Keegan Kolazar, I think Steve Konowalczyk played a large role in his development. You could say the same thing about Matthew Barzell or Ethan Bear, uh, guys that he had on that 2019 Memorial Cup team that was really too banged up to, to make a run of it. Um, and, of course, Konowalczyk, uh, you know, getting over to, 
to Red Deer and having you, Chaz, as a guy that he would have been somewhat familiar with, um, you know, there's some stuff off ice that's in you, Chaz's past that mm-hmm. I think has scared teams away. I would like to think that those things have been um, worked upon, that he's improved himself in some of those off ice areas that I'm not going to get into great detail about. And I think if teams feel confident about that, that they're getting a person that's um, looking and, and, and wanting to take advantage of a second opportunity, then you're probably looking at a guy like Caillou Chas. Again, a right shot center, 6'1", 192 pounds. Uh, again, you know, it's the guys, all the guys we've talked about to this point are, you know, 6'1", guys, 190 pounds. Uh, goals with 6'4", 223. So uh, that size thing's starting to play again. And I think if you can find this player and you're happy with what he's done to make improvements off ice, you probably get a steal late in the draft here. Yeah, you can't shy away from 50 goals. And the off-ice stuff that you're referring to, I mean, listeners can easily find out what that was. NHL teams certainly know about it, and they're going to have talked to him. Uh, they got to do their homework too, right? So all of that stuff will uh, be addressed or at least looked into if you're an NHL team. For sure. And that's the part of scouting that's really you know, uh, grown uh, exponentially over the last decade or so is the ability to do work away from the rink to have a better understanding of what type of person you're getting along with the hockey player. All right, so that was Kai Uchaz of the Red Deer Rebels, uh, 50-goal score. We go to Alex Weimer from the uh, U.S. National Development Program. And uh, with the U18 squad this year, 26 points in 55 games. Now, those aren't the type of numbers that we're seeing with the uh, the guys who are going to go in the first two rounds uh, from the program. But a guy that uh, contributed enough to make your list of sleepers. Uh, I don't know anything about uh, Alex Weimar, so I'm looking forward to you educating me on him, Sam. He's a guy who came into the U.S. program with, with a lot of hype, and I think a lot of people look at him as being kind of that next standout guy. And now that's changed a little bit. When we think about the next standout guy, we're talking about a Hagens or, or a Cole Eiserman, who, who are guys that we're going to see um, in 206 and 207. Mm-hmm. Uh, late 206 players. So those are the guys that have kind of taken, I think Weirmeyer had those expectations coming into the U.S. under-18 program, or sorry, the U.S. Uh, under-17 program, and they haven't quite worked out. And then he gets on the team this year, and if you look at what's in front of him in terms of the, you know, that top line, Smith, Leonard, Perot, and then you look at uh, Oliver Moore and, and Nelson, and all of a sudden the guy like Weirmeyer gets passed by because everyone else has played so well. They're getting all the prime minutes. They're getting the power play time. They're getting the, the bulk of the five-on-five play. And a guy like Weimer kind of gets caught in the dust. I think if you've tracked him here for a little while, you'd be impressed with the skill. You'd be impressed with the skating ability. And that you would hope that the confidence would return in a developmental model wherever he's uh, you know, scheduled to go next, that that kind of aura about him comes back and he gains some confidence and becomes that guy that many people thought he was going to be, you know, at 14 years old. So it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, kind of bet, you know, if you're playing poker and you're betting on the, on what's to come and the, and the river and the, and the turn and all that kind of stuff, he's, he's that, that type of guy. So that's what I'm looking at for, for Weirmer. And we'll see how things shake down with this guy. He's going to Denver next year. He's an LA kid. So, um, it'll be interesting to track his progress. Six foot one, right-handed center, uh, and sometimes those guys are worth their weight in gold. And and you mentioned going to Denver. That's a program that knows how to produce players uh, for sure. Uh, and spent some time in Toronto, a couple of years at least in Toronto. I, I 
I wonder if you know what the connection there is. Uh, well, I know his agent, Cam Stewart, uh, is, is from the Toronto area. And yeah. how exactly it played out here, I think it was just a minor hockey thing or a school thing. I can't remember. I'd have to do, uh, do a little bit more work on that. But, you know, a lot of times that will, that will happen where these kids end up coming to the Toronto area to play their minor hockey or get into some of the academies that are starting to spread up throughout the province. All right, we've got one more sleeper to get to, and uh, we recognize the last name for sure because his older brother had a heck of a year with the Montreal Canadiens. But Florian Jackye, uh, also uh, with the Hamilton Bulldogs, are, uh, is there similarities at all between uh, the older and the younger brother here? Uh, Florian had 25 points, 76 penalty minutes, but are they cut from the same cloth? Oh, yeah, no, there's definitely some toughness in there, and you're always helped when your reputation precedes you in one sense, because there are some players that will stay away from you, but in another sense where you will get challenged in that regard. And those who have challenged Florian have realized that yes, he does have that element to his game. Some of like his brother Arbor and um, you know, a guy that's got some undercover skill to his game. He's a late birthday guy. So this is his first year of draft eligibility. He's ranked 131st by NHL central scouting. And one common theme with all the players at 6'2", 175 that you talked about, point production, penalty minutes are, are things that I'm looking at with him. 13 goals, 78 pins. So a guy that you're hoping can play a, a grind, you know, third or fourth line type. And, you know, what's going to be interesting for me, Guy, is, is watching what happens with NHL teams moving forward. We've seen it with Seattle. I think there's been a lot of talk about Vegas. If you sort of take Jack Eichel out of the conversation, Teams whose roster composition includes a number of players that can play basically three through 12 in your lineup. Players who are accepting of doing that. Uh, players who know that maybe in another program might have been a fourth line player that would get limited minutes. Now the fourth line player getting equal minutes to what's happening in the third line. So we'll see if this roster composition thing starts to take a turn here for NHL teams based on the success of of the Vegas Golden Knights winning the cup in six years based on Seattle getting by Colorado in round number one with no real superstar on their hockey club and just see if the NHL starts to, you know, do the copycat thing like we often see after Stanley Cup. So what I'm saying to you is Jack guy is probably that guy who gives you a little bit of that Riley Smith, a little bump and grind, a little bit of responsibility, some undercover skill. You know, he's going to hang around the net. He's going to be tough. You're not going to want to mess with him. I think he's that type of guy. Now, I don't know if he could, uh, projects to have the same skill set as a Riley Smith, uh, you know, because Riley's a really good skater. I don't think Florin is that, uh, projects to be that type of skater, but I do believe that there is some of that element of his game where he can be a real shift disturber uh, down in your lineup. Yeah, he is a forward, and his older brother Arbor's a defenseman, but when you're talking about mm -hmm. a guy that can be a power forward – hinted towards skating maybe not being a necessarily a weakness but not a, an overpowering strength either are we thinking like Patrick Maroon type of player yeah I think that that would be a real that would be a real good one to uh, a real good comparison in terms of Maroon sure I don't know if he's quite as intimidating as what a Maroon would be uh, but again if you're blending a Riley Smith and a Patrick Maroon you're talking about guys that have been real successful pieces uh, to their respective Stanley Cup champion team so uh, I think it's it's nice to be able to, you know, to to have that sort of element in your lineup. Yeah, great point. All right, all right, that does it for the list of uh, sleepers. Now I did give you another assignment, and uh, as I framed this for the uh, the audience, this is how I explained it to you. I want a guy that you like, 
uh, but probably not as much as the consensus out there. So that if you were a team on the draft floor and the team right ahead of you picks this guy, you're okay with that because somebody you like more has just slipped down to you. Uh, and the player that you gave me is uh, a big forward uh, with the Wisconsin Badgers, and that's uh, Charlie Strammel, uh, who had 12 points in 33 games this past season. Uh, so I'm not sure where you have him in your personal rankings, uh, Sam, but um, you're okay if you don't necessarily come away with him. Uh, why is that? Yeah, well, you're talking about a big guy, and I think that's a thing that's uh, attracted scouts to him all along. And I'm not so sure that there's a whole lot of other elements to his game that are going to play. Yeah, he's a good skater. Yes, he was the second youngest guy in NCAA hockey this year. But I do think that he is a guy that probably is, is a little bit overrated in terms of his offensive production. And that's the concerns I would have about him. You know, a lot of projections earlier in the year that this guy's going to be a first-round pick. I think that there's a lot more offensive skill that's going to be available in the latter stages of round one well into the latter stages of round two. Um, but I think people really get excited about size, as I have been. You know, this whole conversation has had that uh, that tenor to it. Yeah. Uh, but I think, the, 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 you know, we're talking about guys that are going to be in the, in the latter stages of, of, you know, of the draft period. I think for Strammel, when you look, it's a lot of guys have him. Hey, he's round one. He's going to go early in round two. I just don't know if I see it. Now, Wisconsin wasn't a very good team. You know, uh, Tony Monte, the head coach, gets fired at the end of the year. A uh, new guy comes in in my case things. So does that change what's going to happen for his developmental path moving forward? Sure. But when I look at this pick and I'm thinking about a first-round guy, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go there with Stramley yet. He probably – he's never really put up monster numbers. And yeah. I think that's a little bit of a concern for me too. So – I, I guess he's a guy that a lot of people are really excited about, a guy that I've had many conversations about, uh, and a guy that I don't necessarily see being a first-rounder when some do. Yeah, I, I think I want more offense from a first-round pick. I look back, as you were mentioning, mm -hmm. his, his offensive numbers the last three years, nothing really that jumps out. You have to go all the way back to his Bantam season in Rosemount where he had 129 points in 60 games, but there's three mm -hmm. years since then, two at the program, there's very little offense there, so I understand what you're saying uh, with uh, the value of a first-round pick. And that's not to say you can't play for your team one day, but you're just not willing to use uh, that valuable a pick on them. Maybe a second or a third, but not a, not a first. Exactly. Right. Yeah, that's the way I see it. Well, Sam, this has been awesome. Uh, what do you have coming out at Sportsnet between now and the draft? Well, we got to just revise the rankings a little bit. we got Jason Buchla's stuff that's really in-depth that leans a little bit more hockey, where I lean a little bit more background. So I would uh, you know, strongly suggest that if you're a draft nut to, to check up on JB stuff. We'll have mock drafts coming out on the Monday, Tuesday of draft week. Um, I've got some, a round table, I guess they call it. I answered some questions for our digital side this morning that will probably get posted here in the next couple of days. Uh, and then, of course, our, our draft coverage on Sportsnet uh, all around one. Then Jason Bukula and I will will switch over to the NHL Network for rounds two through seven on day number two. And, uh, you know, just really looking forward to getting after it. That sounds awesome. And the draft this year is uh, in the middle of the week. Any idea why that is? Is it just simply because July 1st and July 4th almost uh, together on the weekend? Yeah, I think that's it. But no, I've never, I haven't asked that question. It's going to be super weird yeah. to be broadcasting to an audience at 11 a.m. on Thursday for rounds two through seven. <laughs> so kind of sucks for the kids. You like to have that thing at night. 
I'm sure ESPN probably has a, has a hand in that somehow like they do and like they have so often. Um, and I would expect there's, uh, there's something going on there. All right, looking forward to it, Sam. Thank you for your time. Okay, Guy, thanks a lot. Good talking to you. The lovely and talented Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet with a look at uh, some uh, guys who are maybe flying under the radar a little bit. Some later round picks, uh, some good guys that he's mentioned there, some intriguing players. Let me know on Twitter if you have some names that you would think would fall under that category as a, uh, a guy that's maybe being overlooked by the masses. You can find me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Hey, did you know that at patreon.com slash the pipeline show, you can sign up two bucks a month. You can get early access to every interview that you hear on the, a full episode of the show. Patrons get early access, can hear that usually the same day, maybe the day after the interview actually takes place. This conversation I had with Sam, for instance, as I'm speaking with you right now, it's about an hour since I had that conversation, and it's Tuesday. The full show will come out on Friday, but patrons are going to be able to listen to this in about 20 minutes. It's a couple of bucks a month, American, and a little less than that if you sign up for an annual basis. If you're not a patron yet, why don't you give it a try? Seven days free trial. Now available at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Up next, we're going to get a uh, look at some of the overage players, guys who have passed through the draft at least once already. Some 19 year olds, maybe a 20 year old, maybe a European 20 year old, a couple of goaltenders on the list that we're going to hear about. All courtesy Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Klim Kostin from Team Russia. Drop it back. That was Klim Kostin. Read the play and intercepted for Russia. Pavel Konikov. Shots off the skate, goes to Kostin. Russia scores. It bounced right to Klim Kostin, and it's time. This is the Pipeline Show. talent, development. NCAA Hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move! Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goal. He scores! Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores! Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious man! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yes! That's awesome! Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Go to wilhockbeefjerky.com. Any order, any size, anywhere, they will ship it to you in Western Canada. All right, moving on as we uh, continue uh, getting to know some players uh, for the upcoming NHL draft. And in this segment, uh, we're going to be talking about some guys who have uh, been through the process, or at least were eligible in the past overagers in this segment and just like we did last year at this time my guest is Brock Otten from McKean's. Brock welcome back to the show how are you? Good man thanks for having me on again I must be the the overage expert at this point. I don't know what that says about you. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm older than you so uh, no this is always a fun category for me because I think there are guys who slip through the cracks every year and we talk about well maybe a guy's just a late bloomer or he was playing on a deep team in his draft year, didn't get the ice time, 
Maybe it's a goaltender. I think you got a couple of goalies on your list, and maybe that plays into it for, for those guys. But eventually, if the talent is there, you get noticed. And that's the case for a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about today. And probably, you've given me six names. There's probably 15 you could have went with. Oh, I could have went with even more, I, honestly. And I, I think you know part of the reason why you do have me on to this segment is you and I chat about this pretty much every time we chat. And <laughs> it's it's just something that NHL teams are really embracing these days. Uh, you've got that extra development time that you've already seen. We're seeing 20% of all draft picks selected being overage guys or, or guys in that you know second, third, or in the case of some European players, fourth year of eligibility. So you're getting that that extra viewing time on these guys, right? And in some cases, or in a lot of cases, that extra time to see what they end up being before you have to sign them too, right? Um, so that that's important. So why not take advantage of that? And I, I think a lot of teams are doing that, um, some more than others, but definitely quite a few are on the overage bandwagon. So I, I could have given you way more. Uh, let's get to you, uh, the six guys, and we'll start with a goaltender. Adam Guyon, who uh, had such a breakout performance at the World Junior Championship at Christmas time, played most of the year in the Nall with uh, the Chippewa Steel, a uh, little bit of uh, a six-pack of games with the Green Bay Gamblers. Didn't get selected last year, probably because of where he was playing, and his numbers weren't all that great. What's changed for Adam Guyon? Yeah, I, I mean, the easy answer there is his World Junior performance, yeah. right? Um this is a guy who came into the World Juniors, absolutely stole the show for Slovakia, was the top goaltender in the event. People are saying, okay, like, where, where did Adam Guyan come from? Like, he was the third goalie, essentially, for that Slovak team, uh, and then sort of worked his way up. He had a really good year in the NAHL, as you mentioned, had a, a good little cup of coffee in the USHL, and has pretty much everything that scouts are looking for from the goaltending position these days, right? Big and athletic, definitely a little bit raw. Uh, he's, he's a project, but what goalie isn't at, at this stage, right? And he's somebody that probably is right up there as having the highest upside of any goalie available this year, right? He's definitely in contention to be the first goaltender selected, right? He's right in that group with the likes of Augustine and Carson Bjarnason and Trey Augustine. He's He's right up there, and... That's why I would say he's unquestionably the the top overage or reentry guy that you and I are going to chat about today. Six foot three, so he's right in that sweet spot for uh, goaltenders when it comes to height. And going to the University of Minnesota Duluth, so it's a, a good program and a very good conference in the NCAA. There's there's just there's lots of upside here. And uh, for a guy who's already been passed over once, I guess maybe we're talking about a, uh, somewhat of a late bloomer, but I think it's more about opportunity uh, where he. He finally got to go on the bigger bigger stage, especially like at the World Junior. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you've read anything about Diane, but he just sounds like a really highly motivated and good kid. He's yeah. somebody that was sending out sort of like mixtapes to teams <laughs> to try to get him to, to take him, right, in, in the USHL and the NHL to the Slovak national team just to say like, hey, like, look at me, I'm worth a chance. And, you know, teams ultimately did end up taking that chance on him and you know, he's making them look like geniuses. And I think NHL teams are going to really like that. Here's a player who really has a high confidence level in his abilities moving forward and was willing to, to take those sort of risks and, and change countries to, to open up more opportunities for himself. And, and now he's got a great scholarship lined up, like you said, to Minnesota Duluth, where he's going to have a really good chance to, to 
I would say, develop into one of the better starters in NCAA and maybe ends up winning a Mike Richter award at some point too, right? Um, this guy, uh, there's, there's a reason why he's one of the top goalies available this year, regardless of whether he's older or not. Brock Otten from McKean's is my guest as we're uh, chatting about those overage guys uh, for the 2023 NHL draft. Let's uh, move on. And a defenseman with the Seattle Thunderbirds and Jeremy Hansel, who it surprises me that he hasn't been picked yet. He's now 20 years old uh, and uh, at 6'1", 190, 90, 92, 95 pounds, is certainly uh, got the size. He's real mobile. He's putting up points. I don't know what the reasoning is that he hasn't been drafted yet, but it seems like a, in all likelihood, I mean, he had an outstanding playoff. He was good at the Memorial Cup. I don't think there's a chance he doesn't get taken this year. I would agree completely. I think it's uh, it's it's a slam dunk. And I, I would even say that he's probably a slam dunk to go in the top 100. I, I w- if, if we're going to say which two overage guys are going to go first and second, it would be Guyan and Hansel for me. And yeah. um, you kind of hit the nail on the head. He's, he's, Previously was a very toolsy type defender. Maybe didn't have everything consistently going for him. Um, but this year was a totally different player. Was finally able to take advantage of that strong mobility. Finally developed into a more consistent defensive player. Finally developed into a more confident puck handler. Um, somebody who really took the bull by the horns with greater opportunity in Seattle this year on a really strong team. And this team was loaded with NHL talent. And on a lot of nights, Hansel was was the best of that bunch, better than, say, a guy like Kevin Korczynski. Mm-hmm. And when you look at his production this year, a lot of it came at even strength, right? Korczynski was the one running that main power play, and Hansel was doing a lot of his damage five-on-five. Five. And this is somebody that, you know, I think teams are going to look at similar to the way that they did Riker Evans a few years ago, who you know, now is sort of rocketing up the Seattle system and looks like a tremendous pick as an overager. You know, it's funny when you mentioned Kevin Korczynski because I was looking at Seattle and I remember they brought in Nolan Allen and uh, Luke Prokop and more defensive-orientated guys. Allen's got a little bit more two-way in him uh, than I would suggest that Prokop has. But they brought those two guys in because they had Korczynski and because they had Hansel, and maybe they're thinking more offense for both of those guys. When I compare Hansel to Korczynski, I see – much more of a two-way responsibility with Hansel. He definitely can contribute offensively, and we saw that. Uh, but I think he's better in his own end and defensively than Korczynski. I, maybe you have a different take on it, but that's how I see them. No, I would agree with you completely. I think that you know both of them are great movers, but I think Hansel has a, a much better understanding of how to use his mobility. Uh, obviously, age is an important aspect of that sure. and experience, right? But I think at this stage of their development, yeah, he's got a better understanding of how to use his mobility to be a strong defensive presence. And you kind of already mentioned it in the, in the playoffs for Seattle. He was fantastic. He, In my opinion, he was their best defenseman, better than Korczynski, better than Allen. And uh, that's going to go a long way, I think, uh, when it comes to really increasing his draft stock. And um, he's a guy that I definitely expect to go in those first three rounds, like you mentioned. All right, well, he could go back to Seattle again for a, an overage season. We'll see if that happens. And if he does, if he lasts the season in Seattle, uh, or if he becomes one of those coveted uh, uh, trade assets uh, for a Memorial Cup contender out of the WHL, we'll see. 
All right, moving on. Another goaltender, and it's not in Seattle, so we're, we're not talking about Thomas Millich, but we're going with an over uh, an overage Finn in Yuha Yakala, who is listed at 6'1", 176 pounds, so he's not a giant, but he had big numbers in uh, in the uh, Finnish Elite League this year. So 40 games playing professionally and uh, looks really good. Yeah, he kind of first sort of, we'll say, burst onto the scene uh, at the Summer World Juniors, where he stole the starting job away from top Ottawa prospect Levi Marilainen. And that kind of caught everybody's attention. And then he's had you know, a pretty good year in Finland this year and is another one of those highly athletic netminders that a goaltending coach is going to look at and say, like, this is somebody that I can truly... That's half the battle. And when you look at how he's played against men in the Liga... Um, I think that he's another guy that's probably a slam dunk to get drafted this year. And he was the top-rated Euro goalie by NHL Central Scouting. And I don't remember the last time the top-rated goalie from NHL Central Scouting for Europe did not get drafted. And I don't remember the last time it was an overage goaltender as well. So, sometimes it seems like, and that's just, just my opinion, but uh, to get scouts to admit that maybe they missed a guy, uh, is is sometimes like pulling teeth. So to see Central Scouting have him rank that high was a bit surprising for me. Yeah, I think actually the first two on the Euro board for goaltenders are overage. I think Alexander Halnemo, um, who we're not going to talk about as part of the top six, but somebody who also has a really good chance of getting drafted, I believe is number two uh, for Europe uh, this year. And when you throw in the fact that we already talked about Adam Guyan, even though he's from North America, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely quite interesting, a very interesting trend, if you will. Thomas Suhanek from the Tri-City Americans, another uh, European uh, played in the WHL, but right, another right. overage goaltender who probably gets taken this year, I would think. All right, uh, continuing on, Cole Knubel, who I had on the show uh, probably around, uh, I don't know, just in January or something like that. Uh, his uh, second year of eligibility, played for the Fargo Force this year, and a really strong season, 30 goals, 66 points in just 57 games uh, for Fargo, and a point-per-game guy in the playoffs as well. Uh, it seems, at least on paper, lots to like about him, except maybe his size? Yeah, I think that last year there were some projection issues, right? Not the biggest guy, not the greatest skater. Then you look at, okay, what type of role is Kanuma going to play? And it's a guy that finds most of his success sort of playing through the middle of the ice. And then I think that's why teams sort of shot away from taking him last year, when he was probably when you look at the independent scouting community, the amateur scouting community, he was probably the top ranked guy to go unselected on a lot of lists. I know he was at the Kings. I'm pretty sure he was on a lot of other ones. And he kind of did everything he needed to do this year, returning to the USHL. He, he improved his skating he improved his puck carrying ability, um, improved his small area skill, which I think gives him a better projection as more of a middle six guy and less of just a sort of straight bottom six guy. I think that you throw in the fact that the bloodlines are great, that he performed really well in the playoffs, that he performed really well for the U.S. at the World Junior A Challenge. He pretty much did everything he could this year to get drafted, and uh, I would be shocked if he doesn't go this year too. Yeah, I think if I recall correctly, he was in the top 100 for Central Scouting last year and uh, didn't get taken. So Yeah, that's... And he, was, he was in our top overall 100 at McKean's, and I know there were quite a few places – I'm sure if you went on Elite Prospects and you scroll that bottom there, you'll see where everybody had him rated last year. I'm sure most 
if not all places had him in sort of like that top 120 top 130 range so right. he was he was the one guy that when you looked at people sort of listing off their top available players who didn't get selected it was it was always sort of Cole Knubel being mentioned by people and um, he, like I said uh, you love to see that he came back even hungrier this year in the USHL um, and elevated his game which gives him a great opportunity to, to go this time around. He's supposed to go to uh, Notre Dame in the fall I believe uh, to start his Division One career so we'll watch for Cole Knubel uh, at the NHL draft uh, next week. Uh, then we've got uh, another USHL player, Eric Polkamp, who uh, not on my radar at all until you gave me the name, and then I looked him up, and, well, there's some interesting numbers here. Last year, 18 points in 61 games. This year, 51 points in 59 games. In fact, he had 16 goals. He had almost as many goals this year as he had points uh, a season ago. 5'11", so he's not a giant, but he's 205 pounds. Uh, this is a player who's really piqued my interest now. Tell me about him. Yeah, I, honestly, uh, I don't really understand why he's not generating more interest. He was the USHL Defenseman of the Year. And we're not talking about a guy in his last year of eligibility. He's an 04. Yeah. So he's only just missing out by a year. Um, I think has a lot of really interesting tools. I think his game is very raw in terms of the things that he's going to need to improve. There's going to be a lot of refinement needed in his game before he turns pro. Um, but that's what going to the NCAA is all about. And, and yes, he is going to an interesting program at Bemidji State. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily the classic program that you think of when I were to say, oh, the USHL Defenseman of the Year is going to right. Bemidji State, right? So, But that's going to be a great opportunity for him to go to that program and be a star. Um, that program has had NHL players previously. Um, they are a decent program. They've had some good years in recent years. Polkamp is somebody who plays physical, plays aggressively, has great mobility, has one of the best, if not the best, point shot of any defender in the draft class this year. Just an absolute rocket. Um, I think that he really helped himself with his performance at the World Junior A Challenge this year. He was actually a late addition to that team um, and ended up coming in and making the all-star team based on how well he performed. And that was a, a pretty high, or that's a pretty high quality tournament, you know, when, especially when you're looking at the level of players that Sweden brought over. And, um, you know, there were some decent prospects on Canada West, Canada East as well. And he performed very well on that team with other players that are going to get drafted uh, or already were drafted. And um, as I said, yes, the game needs refinement. He's somebody who, is a bit of a riverboat gambler. He will get caught up ice. He will, you know, make errors at both ends. He will chase the puck a little bit. He'll chase the big hit. He's very hyper aggressive in terms of trying to stop in the neutral zone. Um, and that can be exploited. But when I look at the overall set of tools that he brings to the table, he's a very interesting prospect in my opinion. And I wonder if he's one of those guys that's just not getting a lot of, a lot of hype and, he ends up going, you know, 80th overall, and and people say, well, oh, like Eric Polkamp, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, he's yeah. USHL defenseman of the year, blah 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 blah, right? It happens every year. Every year we see uh, a few guys, especially these OAs, who end up going 
quite high and, and it makes people sort of scratch their head a little bit until they dig a little bit deeper. And I, I think Pole Camp is one of those guys that people should be doing their due diligence on before the draft because uh, I could see him going quite high. Well, it's definitely piqued my interest, that's for sure. Uh, big numbers. That's a huge jump. And I, I, have you seen enough of Cedar Rapids this year and last year to determine like what the difference is? Is it just all about the opportunities? He's suddenly the number one power play guy. I'm guessing he is since you talked about that shot. But it's just such a huge jump in numbers from 18 to 51. Yeah, I, when I was writing about pole camp earlier this year, part of it is definitely more ice time, okay. um, more opportunity, as you said, like running that power play. But also, all that had to do with just improved confidence, I think. Right. Um, I think this was a young man who was probably slightly overwhelmed in the USHL last year and just wasn't playing to his capability. And I, I think that when you watch him play, last year versus this past year, the difference is night and day. Here's a player whose development took a huge, huge step forward. And I, again, that's another thing that I think points to uh, somebody who is really, really worth uh, a draft pick. All right, we got one more guy as a, an overager to uh, talk about, and that is a uh, forward with the Everett Silver Tips. And I haven't called an Everett game since before COVID, so I – I, I don't know if it's Austin Reist or Austin Roost. Do you know? Roost, because it's Stacy's son. Okay, well, there it is. Austin Roost, then. Yeah, former NHLer Stacy. Okay, well, let's go with him, because yeah, he had an interesting season as well. Another one of those players who seems like he just took a, a massive jump ahead with his uh, probably his ice time and his opportunity, but also with his production. Goes from 32 points a year ago to 78. He had 32 goals uh, this year with the Silver Tips, also wearing a letter. Uh, so, you know, he's got some uh, uh, leadership capabilities. But uh, a 19-year-old, so he was eligible last year. Uh, why is Austin Roost uh, on your list this year? Yeah, I, I think a lot of it has to do with the increase in ice time, like you said. Everett definitely went through a bit of a rebuild this year, um, especially halfway through the year. And he's somebody that really took advantage of, of taking hold of uh, a top six spot in that lineup. He's a really well-rounded player, uh, plays a you know, a lot like his dad did, right? Is is strong at both ends, plays physical, plays well down low, um, drives the net, really strong, really smart player without the puck. Um, and I think the biggest difference was his play on the puck this year and his skating as well. I think the the big difference for him was was getting quicker and, and being able to, you know, prolong possession and drive the net and, and play in transition and, and be effective that way. And I think that his overall well-rounded skill set in combination with the positive development, uh, in combination with those good NHL bloodlines, I think that makes him a very interesting guy. Like When you look at the first half of this year, he was consistently in the top 10 of WHL scoring. And I, I believe he finished maybe just outside the top 20 or just inside the top 20 at the end of the year. Um, but that's understandable with the way that Everett sort of sold off um, to, to kind of fully commit to that re to rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so his hits, or his numbers were going to take a bit of a hit, but he's somebody that, again, uh, another 04. Uh, we're not talking about an 03 here. We're talking about uh, a player who's just one year out from being draft eligible who really took a step forward this year. And uh, that's why he's uh, a guy that I thought was worth talking about today. Uh, a little bit undersized, 5'10, about 165 ish pounds. Is that a concern for you? 
Uh, I think it was last year, and he's somebody that we had rated pretty low last year just because, again, skating wasn't high-end and not a huge guy. But this year with him improving his skating and improving his strength on the puck, I think that his size became less of a concern. Definitely still a concern. Definitely wouldn't say that he's a slam dunk to be drafted like the other five guys that we just talked about. But um, I thought that I could have probably gone in a variety of different routes with this sixth guy that we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. There's quite a few guys that I think are probably maybe a little more likely to be selected. But um, he's somebody that's kind of piqued my interest all year, especially watching uh, Everett early on in the year and and kind of following them a little bit through the year. And and our WHL scouts for McKean's really liked uh, Austin as well. So kind of everything coming together, he's somebody that we have ranked pretty highly at McKean's. Not not extremely highly, but I think he's like 120th or 130th in our final rankings. And um, so that's why he was the sixth guy that I thought we'd talk about. Okay, we got one more uh, a player to talk about, and uh, the way I framed this one was uh, give me a guy that you like, uh, the name of a guy that you like, but you probably don't like him as much as other scouts uh, coming into the NHL draft. So if you're on the floor and your team or the team right ahead of you picks him, you're okay because that means somebody you like more has slipped down to you. Uh, the name you've given me is Andrew Crystal of the uh, Kelowna Rockets. Uh, tell me why. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's, it's an interesting segue going from Austin Rose now talking about Andrew Crystal because I was just talking about how, well, here's a smaller guy and, you know, he's not the greatest skater and blah, 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 blah. Well, Andrew Crystal kind of fits that same mold, right? Obviously a lot higher skill. Here's sort of my position on this. Uh, I know that, that you read uh, a lot of work that's put out by people in my position. And I don't know if you saw uh, Corey Pronman's piece of The Athletic uh, that he always does, the Scouts Confidential. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces that that's written by one of my peers every year, uh, where Corey has a collection of quotes from executives and scouts and general managers. And I found a lot of the quotes on Andrew Crystal very, very interesting this year. And it kind of mirrored my own personal take on him. And a lot of them kind of said, look, I, I like Andrew Crystal. I think he's a great player, highly skilled, highly intelligent, but I want somebody else to draft him. And that's kind of like where I'm at with Crystal. Like, I, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid of that profile and how it translates to the NHL level, even though I respect how skilled and how intelligent he is. Uh, just because that combination of not elite mobility and not good size, you know, that, that combination, it doesn't always translate. And when I say doesn't always translate, we're talking about way less than other players Uh, we've seen so many players come through the junior ranks who have a similar profile to crystal that end up being more of those tweener types right so if if crystal's available uh, you know in the back end or the very back of the first round early second yeah 100 that's the guy that i'm jumping at the opportunity to draft because the upside is so significant but when i see rankings you know that have him in that like top 15 range Hmm. Uh, just my personal preference would be, you know what, we're going to let somebody else take him there and absorb that risk because there's other guys in such a good year for forwards that I think, you know, maybe have similar potential, but a lot, I would say, higher floor. 
safer picks, basically. When you're you're using a first-round pick, you, you you can't miss with first-rounders. So maybe just a little bit too much unpredictability here with Crystal at, at that high end of a pick? Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and uh, you, the word safe sometimes... A negative connotation is attached to that word when we're talking about draft prospects. Yeah. Right? There, there are a lot of evaluators in the independent scouting sphere, we'll call it, that hate that word, right? You'll see a lot of the safer prospects pushed down their list, where as I'm, I wouldn't say I'm drawn to them a lot more than others, but it depends where my organization is at, right? Like if I'm a competitive organization who is looking to stay competitive, I want a guy that has a high floor and a high ceiling. That's, that's the perfect spot that you want to be in, right? You don't want to have a guy that, you know, is going to be only a third liner. But if you can get a guy who's definitely going to play that also has the opportunity to improve and play higher in your lineup, those are the kinds of guys that I want to target. And Crystal is somebody that I don't think is going to be a bottom six guy, right? If he plays in the NHL, he's going to be playing in a top six role. Right. Otherwise, he probably ends up in more of that tweener status. Um, and... Again, I just look back at, at a lot of the types that have struggled to make that transition, and a lot of them have that profile that Crystal does. And you look at some of the things that, that he does uh, using the Mohawk stride, right? That sort of tended to a lot, and, and using his edges to sort of create speed and separation. That just doesn't work as well at the NHL level when you don't have that high-end explosiveness in a linear fashion, right? Because NHL defenders, they're, they're too mobile, they're too strong, they're too, they're too big, they're too physical, right? They're just going to constantly knock you off edge. I think that part of why Crystal struggled so much at the U18s was just the, you know, improvement in the quality of competition and the improvement in defensemen over the course of the season, right? When you look at his play at, say, the Lincoln Gretzky versus, you know, at, the U18s where he struggled a little bit, right? Now we've got a full year of development for some of those guys that he's going up against. And I felt like he really struggled to get to the middle. And I felt like that was most concerning to me because now we're talking about a guy who might be kept more to the perimeter at the next level, right? And there, there's just a lot of working pieces there and a lot of inherent risk that, again, like a lot of those executives and scouts and GMs were saying in, in Corey Promen's piece, that's just a player that I'd be comfortable saying, you know, I really like this guy, but I want to see somebody else draft him, not us. Seems like a guy, as you said, he's either going to play in your top six or he's going to end up being the best player on your farm team, which has value as well. You need to have good uh, a good farm system, but if you're going to use a first-round pick, that's a lot to gamble or risk on that. However, maybe this is the type of player that a team that has two first-round picks looks at with that second one. Get the the quote-unquote safe guy with the first pick, and then swing for the fence a bit with Crystal. Yeah, absolutely. I think that kind of goes back to what I was saying about it really depends where your your organization is at in terms right. of depth, in terms of competitiveness. And yeah, if, if you've got a high pick in, in the top 10 or top 5, and you've got a player who has a lot more likelihood or is a lot more likely to be an impact player... Yeah, you can take those swings for the fences. I look at a team like San Jose, right? San Jose is picking fourth, and I believe they're picking 26th, 27th, somewhere in that range. Right. So there's a team that, you know, Andrew Crystal's still on the board at that range, and they've 
just drafted Will Smith, Leo Carlson, you name it, right? Um, they're going to have an opportunity to take that, that swing defense, especially with San Jose still being multiple years out from being a competitive team. So you're just trying to stockpile high-end players with high-end ceilings and sort of seeing what works, right? Because you're not worried about cap at all. You're not worried about drafting a guy who's going to be able to play in your, you know, bottom six on great value in a couple of years because you have those Stanley Cup aspirations. No, you're just taking guys hoping that you can develop as many players with high ceilings as you can, right? So that's why those types of teams are going to take those swing for the fences at the back half of the first round. Those teams that have two or three first-round picks, those teams that have you know two first-round picks and two early seconds, um, those are the teams that are going to take those chances. And I think another example is a guy like Quentin Musty. We're not talking about him, but he was someone that I thought of mentioning instead of Crystal. Uh, another guy that I think, I'm not going to use the word boom or bust, but does have a lot of inherent risk built into his profile. Mm. Um, but the risks attached to him are definitely worth it if he hits that high end upside of being you know, a really good first or second line winger. So um, he's another guy that I think we're going to see a team take higher than Crystal, but maybe a team that has the opportunity to take chances because they've got it already deep talent pool um you know incoming or they are a team that has multiple first round picks brock this has been terrific uh are, do you have more stuff coming out uh, at uh, mckean's or has all the heavy lifting already been done for mckean's most of the heavy lifting uh, has been done we've we've got some uh scouting reports still coming out on on some players that you know haven't been written about in terms of a full scouting report anyway so look for those otherwise it's just our draft guide which is out that you can pick up I'm at Um From my personal standpoint, we've got uh, my usual media scout poll for the OHL going to be released today um, as we're chatting on Tuesday. Right. Uh, so by the time people listen to this, it will be out and they can check it out at OHL Prospects. Um, 17 writers looking at uh, uh, a cumulative list. Uh, of the top OHL guys available this year. So it's always a really well-read article by people and something that um, I would say is sort of in high demand. Brock, thank you very much for fitting this in. Uh, I really appreciate your time. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, man, as always. That was Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey with a uh, look at some of the overagers and that list of overagers that he could have went with, as he mentioned, very, very long. There's a lot of guys. I think we're still dealing with uh, the the fallout from COVID, the underscouted or under the complications from that year or two, two years really, where guys didn't get to play a whole lot. Some didn't get to play at all, the OHL, for example. And so development might have been slowed for some players, and we're starting to see that more and more. And as Brock pointed out, it's like 20% of the, the players drafted are in their second or third year of eligibility for the NHL draft. So that's it's an important group to try to clamp down on. And so I appreciate Brock and his insight in doing that. We've got one more segment to go, and it's a scout that I've been uh, wanting to get on the program for a long time. Uh, Russ Cohen from NHL XM Sirius Radio and EP Ringside. He is up next, and, uh, well, we've got one more category to go. And what haven't we talked about yet? It's the Natural Born Scores, the Snipers. That's next with Russ Cohen here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Feist off the boards to center. 
Now over the blue line, Bedard, high slot, drag. What a move, Bedard! Through the legs! Scores! What a beautiful goal by Connor Bedard in Calgary! Holy smokes! I'm Connor Bedard for the Regina Pass, and this is the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. Final segment to go on this week's episode of The Pipeline Show, of course, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, but you can get it anywhere in Western Canada just by going to their website. That is wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, uh, my guest for this final segment, it's a fella I've been wanting to get on the program for a long time. It's Russ Cohen. You know him from SiriusXM and EP Ringside. Uh, Russ, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've listened to your show many times. Always appreciated your work. Well, I appreciate that, and uh, we can, uh, we're can we both Flyers fans, so we can uh, share that misery right now, too. Well, I'm not a fan. I cover the team, but I can help you with the misery. For sure. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Okay. Let's get to it. And uh, the draft right around the corner now as we're recording. It's just a, a week away, basically. And uh, the, the list of guys that uh, you're going to tackle for us are the goal scorers. And probably the most valuable trait to have, I would think. It's the hardest thing to do at the National Hockey League is put the puck in the back of the net. It's also the most important thing to do. Uh, so these guys, as expected, are all going to go very early in the NHL draft. Uh, we're going to do this alphabetically. So everybody knows Connor Bedard's going to go number one overall, but he's not the first guy we're going to talk about. That's Colby Barlow, who had one heck of a season uh, in the Ontario Hockey League uh, for the uh, Owen Sound attack, 46 goals, 79 points. And natural goal scorer is kind of uh, what everybody would use to describe this guy and uh, is one of the players that you want to talk about in this category. Uh, tell me why, Russ. Well, yeah, he is, like you said, a natural goal scorer. But I think I think it's the release on his shot that is the most impressive. Uh, I remember just, you know, sometimes we can get really monofocused, right? And you start watching the game, but then you really just start watching some player and his attributes. And I watched a few Barlow goals late in the season, and it was just unbelievable, the uh, the quickness on, on his release. Like, it, it, you know, it was just one of the fastest, if not the fastest in this draft, I feel. And... So, yeah, they, you look at him, natural goal scorer. He's sturdy. He's got a pro body. Uh, he establishes the crease. If he gets in the crease, forget it. Uh, that's one of those things where he's going to put it in. But, you know, also I, I talk to a lot of these players a lot of times during the year, and it's funny because his thing is, yeah, he, he wants to get in quick and tight to where he is in the net and then get it as close to the net and then shoot it in. But he also knows um, – that deception works really well too with a shot. And so he's got a great wrist shot. He'll use deception. So he'll do it either way. He'll go to the crease or he'll score from the outside with his fast release and accurate shot. And I just feel like he is one of the true uh, goal scorers, like in this draft. 
I had somebody recently on the show tell me that uh, that a number of his goals this year were ones that would just barely squeak through, like sort of under an armpit or uh, just weird angles that maybe uh, suggested um, shooting percentage was a little inflated this year. To me, if it's just squeaking in through a guy's armpit, it probably means there's some strength or power behind that shot to be able to do that. How do you see that? Yeah, I see it as power. And he also is a guy that, like, this is literally a quote. It, it, you know, you have more time, you put more into it. If not, you got to get it off quick and get it on net. And so I think that's probably what happened in some of those shots is he saw the opening, boom, got it on net. Like, that's it. And, you know, they go in. That's what happens with goal scorers. I, I don't think it's luck. And yeah. I don't think it's a shooting. Like, I don't think it's a career year for shooting percentage for him. Okay. I would assume you would consider uh, in the top half of the first round? Definitely top half of the first round. Like, on my own list, I have him 13th. Okay, very good. That's uh, Colby Barlow from the Owen Sound Attack. All right, alphabetically, we are going to Bedard next. And uh, no question, he's the, the top guy in the draft this year. And I have seen him enough in person uh, as he's ripped up the WHL the last few years. Uh, th- this it's it's unbelievable. But you're not in the market, so I want to get your take uh, when you get to see him play. What stands out about uh, about this guy specifically about his shot? What stands out is the deception. Like he's got amazing shot shot deception. He's probably the best in the draft at at that and fooling defenders and shooting at different angles. The, the wrist shot the wrist shot is very strong. Really, really strong. But something that, you know, you see on some players once in a while, but I see on him a lot is that crazy flex that he gets on his stick. Mm. And, and that's something where, you know, that increases the uh, velocity on net, and that's something he's able to do. But, you know, the, another thing that really makes him so valuable is he's able to wear out the defense with these fast, long shifts that he's always at full strength. And he's, I liken it to, like, he's kind of like that wide receiver that you always have to – keep an eye on him, make sure he's covered on the field like in any football game. Because if not, the minute he gets open, he gets the puck, you're in trouble. And and I just feel like that's the way he is. I, I don't know how he's able to – he does a toe drag and halfway through it, he's shooting pucks through defenseman's legs. His shot right. so rarely gets blocked. I don't, I don't understand how he does it, but it's it's masterful to watch. It is masterful. And I think it's just he has learned how to do all those things. Like you said, shoot between the player's legs shoot it on an angle so that nobody can get to it. Fake the shot. Know where he's going to do the shot. You know, look one way, shoot the other. Like, he, he has all these things down at such a young age. But I'll tell you the other thing I noticed, and that's only because I got to see him uh, twice in the last couple of weeks between the uh, Combine and also the Stanley Cup final. His arms are a lot bigger than they were last year. Like, mm-hmm. he's starting to put on muscle, too, which is scary. Well, and we've seen him attack one-on-one uh, defensemen. He can beat guys, not just shoot through them, but he can stick handle through half a team like he did in the, uh, oh, the yeah. overtime win at the at the World Junior Championship. And, God, have mercy on a goalie if the guy gets a breakaway because you never know what he's going to do. <laughs> you don't. You really don't. And that's the beauty of him is he thinks the game so fast. There's never a hesitation there. Like, he always knows what he's going to do with the puck. And that's the thing. That's what makes him so dangerous. But like I said, I've never seen a guy take shifts as long as he does and seemingly never tire. <laughs> and I don't, I don't have all of his shift numbers. I wish I did because, you know, the CHL is kind of like bad with yeah. that WHL, all of them. They're all bad with it. But I would like to just be able to tell because I have a feeling he takes longer shifts than anybody on his team. Well, and uh, I, if I'm the coach, I'm okay with that too. <laughs> let's, right. let's go to uh, Zach Benson, w, another WHL who played for the Winnipeg Ice, and I guess we should say the Wenatchee Wild now after the, the sale last week. Uh, but another guy who most people expect is going to be a, a top end of the first round, probably in the top 10. 
uh, and uh, had a terrific season. Uh, 36 goals uh, for Zach Benson. You're not the first guest for us to bring him up on the show this year, that's for sure. Uh, but why did you single him out for as a goal scorer? Well, because I think he's known a lot for playmaking and mm-hmm. his goal scoring, like you said, went, went up. And I, I spoke to him about it. And what he was basically telling me is he's another guy that wants to get a shot off quick to create rebounds for his teammates. But a lot of times they go in because he's shooting them quick. They have a lot on it. And, and so he, but the one thing he said that really hit with me is he doesn't like shooting when there's not an open lane. And that's pretty smart, man. If you are able to take shots when there's clearance like that, and the fact that he's fast, he's got a fast release, he's got a terrific one-timer, even when he gets in the slot, he's in and out quickly with that shot. I mean, that's the thing. And, and the other thing that's impressive about him, when he's on the power play, he will go on any side of the power play and get off that one-timer. Like, mm. he doesn't – he may have a favorite side, but he said he's not tied into that. He will literally go anywhere. Because, you know, there's some guys that just sit at that same spot. You know, like, you know, guys like Ovechkin, you know, players like that. Sure. But I'm just kidding. I'm kidding with that. But it's just – it's funny that he doesn't really care about a set spot. Yeah, it's, it's not predictable wherever he's going to be on the right. ice. And one thing you touched on, the quick release, man, the, the puck is not on his stick for long. He is uh, not a guy who wastes a lot of time. Uh, he's quick decision-making and just a surgical precision uh, when he fires the puck, for yeah. sure. And I have him ranked fifth on, on my list at sportsology.com. So. Wow. All right. Fifth overall. Great. Uh, all right. Alphabetically, Adam Fantilli is uh, next. And what a season he had for the Michigan Wolverines. Almost a goal per game. Uh, this year, 65 points in 36 games, but 30 goals. Uh, and again, much like Bedard, this is a guy who can do everything. He's a setup guy, and he's got wheels, and he's got size. We're talking about the goal-scoring ability. What stands out in that regard for Adam Fantilli? Yeah, well, you think about that. You, you touched on it where he's a true freshman coming into college hockey. Hard to do. Uh, and he dominates. And, and the shot from the slot is just unbelievable, like, I go back to the old days where, like, Phil Esposito used to set up in the, in the slot. Boom, that puck hit his stick. It was off quickly. You may have thought that Phil was overweight. You may have thought that he was a bit out of shape. But, that, but, his, but his reflexes weren't. And that's how he scored 70-something goals. Well, you look at Fantilli, and he's got strength, and he's got size. And when he's in the shot, boom, it's quick. It's off. It's on the net. And the other thing is, this guy is so smart. Before he even played a game in college – he was saying, like, you know what? I look at I look at the way goals are scored. I look at the charts, and forty eight percent are scored around the net. So that's where I want to be. Like he knows that. Like it's just, you know, that's unbelievable that he puts in that extra work. But he also um, can shoot it through defenders. He, he's a good guy to shoot with screens, and he puts a lot on the shot. So that's something too that a lot of times they'll find the back of the net that way as well. Russ, uh, Owen Power went back to Michigan after he was drafted. Uh, Matty Beneers did not. What do you expect uh, from Adam Fantilli? He's going to go back. Uh, he, he told me, like, in this interview that he's going back. This is a two-year plan. I doubt where he gets drafted is going to change that. Really? Okay. Yeah, I really think he's going to do that. I, I think he's sticking with that. I also think it's because education's involved in this, too. Okay, well, that and I guess that would be the outlier from a hockey sense. As a Hobie Baker winner, as a as such a young player, I'm, I'm, I was wondering what's left for him at the collegiate level. But if it's about education, I'm certainly not going to take that away from him. Well, there's also the NIL. This is a guy who won the Hobie Baker. He could uh, he can make quite a bit in advertising uh, dollars if he wants to. Oh, can you touch on that a, a little bit? Because I'm not familiar with it. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the NIL rule that uh, passed a couple of years ago. 
for college players now means that they can go out and find their own sponsors. And the fact that he's a Hobie Baker winner in Michigan, he can get a bar owner to pay him like five grand for an appearance wow. or advertise for a year on a radio show, whatever. He can do all of that now and, and pocket the money. So that's a big edge for college players. Wow, that I was not aware of that. That's really interesting. I wonder, is that mm-hmm. something that's been exploited by anybody yet that you can think of? Or is he going to be sort of pioneering that? He's not pioneering it. But, but last year, there definitely were players um, that were making money off it in all sports. But it's still in its infancy. So I'm sure um, it's going to get better for them. Interesting. Thanks for that. Uh, Russ Cohen is my yep. guest, uh, filling us in on uh, not just the players, but some uh, interesting uh, collegiate rules as well. Thank you for that. All right, next guy to talk about is uh, Ryan Leonard from the uh, U18 squad, the uh, uh, National Team Development Program. Uh, what a year he and uh, some of his teammates had, but uh, 51 goals for Leonard, 94 points overall in uh, 57 games. Uh, lots to like about Ryan Leonard. Now, I've seen some lists that have him in the top 10, some that have him outside the top 10. Uh, what about for you, Russ? Yeah, I have Leonard at um, at 10, flat out at 10. A um, couple different reasons. He, I have to make sure he's going to be able to get to the net the way he does now as far as when he gets to the next level. And his puck security, I think, needs a little work. These are nitpicking things. But for a guy to be known as a, as a sniper, going to the net's really not the way they, they normally score goals. And he could score them in other ways. He's got a quick release on his shot, and it's really heavy when it hits the net. He is a strong kid physically. He reminds me of Jack Eichel. Uh, when I first met Leonard uh, early in the season and in the Five Nations tournament and was, was you know, interviewing him, I was like, I just couldn't believe that he was this well built. And I just, the last kid I remember that sort of struck me that way as a young guy, because, you know, I used to lift weights when I was a kid and, and get some definition, but, not, you know, nothing like this. Mm. And same with Jack Eichel. Like, Jack Eichel was a, a similar guy. So, so Leonard has that has that body and he has that strength and he's got the quick release on his shot and he does work on it. But then he is also that guy that if you don't watch it, he's going to go to the net with it and put it in that way. All right. So he had 51 goals. His teammate, line mate, Will Smith had 51 and Gabe Perot had 53. Uh, so you could have given me any one of those three and I wouldn't have been surprised. Why Leonard over Perot and Smith when it comes to goal scoring? Because he's not known for it. Mm. Like everybody says, yeah, he's a tough guy. He plays in the corners. He goes to the net. But nobody talks about his shot enough. Everybody talks about Gabe Perot's shot and his hands, for right, rightly so. Everybody talks about Will Smith's game-breaking ability and his speed. But Leonard actually has a great shot. It's just a lot of times he doesn't have to use it. Like, that line is just so talented, they score in so many different ways. But there'll be a day when, you know, Leonard's kind of, like, on his own, and then you'll see it more. All right, perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now let's go to uh, the last guy under the goal-scoring category, and uh, Matt Vemichkov is, uh, well, that's his calling card, isn't it, just how dazzling of a goal-scorer he is? Yeah, I mean, the release on the one-timer is insane. Like, it's just great. Uh, when you have him on the power play, he's tremendous. He's another guy with great hands. <clears throat> and with great hands, he can find that open space on the ice. Uh, he's Like, I've got him tabbed for a couple of crazy goals, there was a goal once, I don't know, I think it was in the U18s where he scored it just before it went off the moorings, and it was like there was a whole thing about it, but you could see that he got that thing off quickly. There's also one that where he scored like a backhand one that he hit it off Eklund, and it goes in. Uh, like, he's a guy, he'll bank it off you. He'll, he'll do anything. Like, he'll do anything to score. And when he's going full speed and he's got the puck at speed, that's when he's really dangerous because he has that quick release, 
And you as a defender, you don't really have a lot of options at that point. So that's his big thing is he will score from a lot of different spots and the hands are great. And there's a lot behind that shot. And as he gets stronger, just imagine how that's going to get. Now, I've had people tell me that he's a bit of a draft day wild card. We know the political reasons and the the passport reasons. But when it comes to his skill set, that he might be one dimensional. That one dimension is outstanding that he can fill the net like that. But is that a concern yeah. for you? No, that part's not a concern. What is a concern is he, you're kind of getting these, you're getting um, reports now from Russia that says, like all the teams who have representatives in Russia of some, of some sort, he's not talking to them. He may talk to some teams when he gets here for the draft. So that may scare off some teams because, again, he may pick and choose who he interviews with. And let's say, I don't know, let's just say for argument's sake, you're Arizona and he didn't want to talk to you. Are you really going to take that pick? I mean, you know, it's not like the old days where, like, Eric Lindros didn't want to go with Quebec. So he's like, fine, I'll go back to juniors. And they still got a bounty for him. This guy can wait it out. He can wait two, three, four years until you decide to trade his rights. And then at that point, when you're trading his rights, what are you really going to get? So I think there are going to be teams that get scared away. And I think teams that get to talk to him or have an inkling that he will play for them will have no hesitation in taking him. But I do think there's some hesitation otherwise because, you know, you're one of those teams and you don't think he really wants to be there and you take him anyhow. Could be a problem. That's a great point, uh, Russ. Uh, for sure, something that you're going to have to be wary about. That's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. I, I wasn't 100% sure if he was actually going to get to Nashville or not, but uh, good to see that he is. And He's it, saying he is, so yeah. Okay, well, I guess we'll, we'll see. Uh, now, I asked you for another <laughs> player that uh, that you like. It's not to say you don't like this player at all, but that the consensus might like him more than you do. Uh, and uh, the the name you've given me for that is uh, Matthew Wood, which I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised. I, I'm not sure. Uh, six foot three, youngest player in NCAA uh, hockey this year, had 34 points in 35 games. What's got you uh, on the uh, on the outside of that? But uh, when it comes to Matthew Wood, Russ. Yeah, and I do want to point out he could have been in the sniper list too, like okay. easily. But but I like him a lot. The issue with him is, and and I had a good conversation with him around Christmas time when he um was on Christmas break from UConn. And I'm really impressed with the guy. Don't get me wrong, but he is a guy that's still growing. So he's literally six foot four now and says he's still growing and it does hamper his training a little bit. Hmm. So I do think the runway for him is going to have to be a lot longer. Like he is the youngest guy in college hockey. So that's good. But I think you do need two or three years of in college and maybe more uh, with the AHL before you even decide what he is at the NHL level. Now, the interesting thing is, he, he says he's a center. He's played center. He didn't play center at UConn. Uh, he thinks he might next year, but what if he doesn't? So now all of a sudden I'm looking at him. I have him ranked 20th on my list. I know he's ranked higher in a lot of lists, but I also think those people think he's going to play center. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced of that yet until teams start actually playing him at center, especially when you're playing up in age. So I need to see that. I need to see better foot speed and better mobility. Those things are the only things that are a problem in his game. Everything else is really good. But again, if he keeps growing and there's a point where he finally stops, then that's where he's going to be able to finally train, I think, the right way. It's hard for him to to train right now when, when that is happening, when you're still like not settled with your body. So smart kid, going to be a really good player, but I couldn't put him higher than 20 simply because he's kind of like incomplete in this way. Now, at the Combine, he basically said people are calling him a unicorn. Now, 
that's not a phrase that we usually write about, like writers usually use, but that is a phrase we've heard around drafts, right, with, with teams using it. So I figured this must have come up in, in interviews that maybe somebody says, hey, you're a unicorn, why, or whatever. But hmm. um, So I think there's some teams that are going to take him early, and then they're going to be very patient and wait <clears throat> because they're looking at that picture like you did. Big guy, you know, and, and he's not Tage Thompson. Like, there's differences in them too. But big guy, we're going to wait him out. We think there's really something here. They might be right, but I think he'll be an NHL, or I just don't know the impact he's going to have. I've heard that comparison to Tage Thompson as well. You say not the same type of player. What's no. the uh, Why do you say that? Well, because I don't think you could put – and I'm not a big comp guy. I, I'm not. But, like, look at the path Tage Thompson had. Like, there's no way you're going to say – he's going to have the same path. Right. Like it just, nobody's had that path really. And then all of a sudden start scoring 40 goals in the NHL. Right. Um, so I think because of that, and I also think because there's a good chance he's going to play on the wing and I think that's, and stay on the wing and not get switched to center when he gets to the NHL. So I think those are the differences. And I think, you know, honestly, the shots as good as Thompson's. Like, I think that's what they have in common is they both have a great shot. Well, we see when he plays with his peers, 13 points in seven games at the oh, World yeah. U18. Uh, that's pretty good. Now, uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a sec. If he if he's played center before and he's on the wing now, that tells me versatility. Is that not a positive? No, no. Versatility. Listen, again, I don't want to sound like a bad guy here. Right. I really like Matthew Wood. Yes, versatility is very much a positive. But when you are looking at a player, you have to admit, if I could play him at center, yeah. he's more of a force than if I play him on the wing. It's just a, like, to me, it's just a fact. Yeah, that's fair. And to emphasize, you have him 20th. That means you like him. You like him a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's not yeah. to say you don't like him. Yeah. So, all right. No. Well, let's be clear on that. I mean, this is a really good draft. So it's like, it's really hard to nitpick and say, well, who, you know, because a lot of us have guys in similar areas. You know, that's the yeah. funny thing. Russ, this has been a lot of fun. I hope you don't mind if I uh, call you again uh, down the road. This has been great. Anytime, Guy. Thanks. That was Russ Cohen from NHL Sirius XM Radio. And EP Ringside does great work uh, for both. And you can hear him on the radio, that's satellite radio, uh, before and after the draft. Uh, that's what he was telling me. There might be some time question how much, the, because it's during the week this year, it's a little bit different. Uh, so not sure exactly when or how much, but before and after the draft. At Sirius XM NHL Radio. Great stuff, Russ. It's been a long time coming to have him on the show. Next week's going to be a little bit weird and a bit unpredictable right now, as with the draft going Wednesday and Thursday, could have a show that comes out on Saturday with sort of a draft recap, get a guest on to talk about what happened. That's probably the way I'm leaning, and maybe I'll do a couple of interviews early in the week that don't have anything to do with the draft. So really, next week's going to be an odd one. It's quite strange to have the draft, a two-day draft in the middle of the week like that instead of uh, on Saturday and Sunday, like every other year for the NHL. We'll see if this is something that continues or not. But very much looking forward to next week's big event. So with that, I bid you a good weekend. Get out and enjoy some hot weather if you're around some good weather. If it's raining where you are, well, I'm sure brighter days are ahead. The draft is on the immediate horizon. Between now and then, get out, study up for the draft. And then you and I can talk about what happens next week here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Guy Flaming. Have a great weekend, everybody. See ya.